for the politics of Nashville, to the history of the Upper Cumberland. This is the Backroads and Backstories podcast with Senator Paul Bailey. Hello, this is State Senator Paul Bailey with your podcast, Backroads and Backstories. Today we're joined by State Senator Richard Briggs from Knoxville, who is a cardiac surgeon as well as state senator and doctor Joy Hensley of Hohenwald, Tennessee. In today's podcast, we're going to be discussing the coronavirus and the effect that it's having not only here in Tennessee, but around the world. But before we begin talking about the coronavirus, um, Dr. Briggs, I'd like for you to introduce yourself to uh, the audience and tell a little bit about your military service and also about the fact that you are a cardiac surgeon and you're still practicing today. And I know that uh, you go to some Indian reservations, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, you do some, is it charity work there? Um, no, they pay me for it. Oh, but. well, of course, I, I forgot you're a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. doc, Dr. Briggs, uh, you know, sometimes you have many titles. I don't know whether to call you doctor, senator, colonel, uh, or friend, but uh, but for most part, uh, thank you and welcome to today's show. And uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, thank you for having us on here. And I'm State Senator Richard Briggs from Knoxville, Tennessee. I have a really a very long career doing a lot of different things. Uh, my actual profession when I'm not in Nashville being a state senator is that I do heart surgery and some lung surgery in Knoxville, Tennessee. I also was in the Army for 38 years. I retired as a, uh, retired as a full colonel. I, had, uh, I did two tours in Iraq during the most recent war. I was in Somalia back in 1993. I was in Afghanistan in 2004. Uh, and even in Korea uh, back in the 1980s. I know I had a lady ask me one time, was I in Korea during the war? And uh, I wasn't even born when the war started, and that would make me close to 90 years old. I know I haven't weathered too well, but I wasn't there during the war. Well, uh, I understand. And, and so uh, how many tours did you do in, in, during the uh, Gulf War era? Well, if you go back to Desert Storm, I was in a MASH hospital, and that was actually my first trip to uh, Iraq. And then uh, I was in Afghanistan. Uh, by this time, I was the senior trauma surgeon at a uh, combat support hospital. And then uh, about a year and a half after that, I was in Baghdad, Iraq, where I was the senior officer at the, uh, actually the busiest and the largest hospital in Baghdad. Yeah. And although you're a cardiac surgeon, I, I think you told me at one point in time uh, when you were there running the MASH hospital that you did multiple surgeries. It just wasn't limited to cardiac surgery. No, I, actually the training for a cardiac surgeon uh, means that you have to have at least five years in board certification in general surgery. And your general surgeons are the ones that are going to be doing gallbladders, appendixes. They're going to be doing the general trauma surgery, so uh, and including some orthopedics and some neurosurgery, whatever comes along. But when I was in Afghanistan, we were still in tents, and we had just uh, two orthopedic surgeons and two general surgeons. So whatever came through the door, we either did it or didn't get done. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Now, your uh, public service, as far as on the political side, you served as a county commissioner in Knox County and now serving on your second term as a state senator. You and I came in as freshmen together in 2014 and and uh, developed a friendship and certainly appreciate you, Dr. Briggs. And so tell us just a, a brief summary of your political career. Uh, well, it really goes back to 2007 and 2008 in Knox County. 
I ran for the county commission and was sworn in as a county commissioner in February of 2008. And I served on the county commission for seven years until I was elected to the state Senate. And I think you were probably uh, sworn in just a couple of minutes before I was, uh, because your name was B.A. and mine is B.R. And uh, <laughs> That's so, right. so you're, you're, you got a little bit of seniority with me there. But, uh, but I've been in the state Senate now just as you have since November of 2014, and, uh, and we've uh, served together since then. Yes, and uh, Senator Briggs, you uh, certainly, because of your uh, medical background, I know that you carry a lot of bills relative to uh, health care in the Senate, which, um, you know, uh, chairing the Commerce Committee from time to time, there are health-related bills that move through that committee, and so we have the opportunity to work with you on those bills. Mm-hmm. And then you serve on finance as well as the health committee. Uh, no, actually, I went off the health committee uh, two years ago, okay. and I'm on the finance committee and uh, the also the transportation committee. That's as right. You well and I as, serve together there. Yes, and then I am uh, the chairman of the ethics committee. And uh, we don't have to meet unless someone's getting into trouble. And we've been meeting a little bit more often than maybe we should <laughs> up here. But uh, that's just uh, uh, a job that uh, when some issue comes up, it gets referred to our committee. Well, very good. Dr. Hensley? Uh, again, you have multiple titles. We call you doctor. We call you senator. We call you friend. From time to time, when when I'm in your uh, committee, I call you chairman. So uh, uh, you you hail all the way from Hohenwald, Tennessee. Hohenwald, Tennessee, Paul. It, it's it's good good to be here with you. First of all, and uh, it's a privilege to uh, know you and to and to be your friend and and Dr. Briggs as well and. I came in the Senate in 2012, so I have a couple years on y'all, but I served 10 years in the House before that. So, But going back, yes, I'm from Hohenwald, which is a small town. That's my hometown. I went to school at, at a community college, Columbia State, then went to Memphis State, and then UT, uh, UT Memphis to, to get my medical degree, and then came back to Hohenwald, where I Grew up and I've been practicing there 34 years. And uh, wow, 34 years! I didn't realize that. One of these days, I'm going to get it right and stop practicing, but I'm still practicing at it. So, but I, I, I and you run a family practice. I I have a solo family practice. I have a nurse practitioner works with me, but like I said, I've been there 34 years, and so I see everything from infants, babies to to elderly people. Everything in between, I see patients in the nursing home. I don't don't deliver babies, even though I did when I first started practicing. I delivered babies, but I don't do that anymore. And actually, my county doesn't have a hospital. Oh, wow. And hasn't had a hospital for the last 25 years. So our closest hospital is about 35 miles away. Is that is that in Columbia? In Murray Columbia, county? Tennessee. Uh, right. Murray County has a, has a big hospital. So that's our closest hospital so but I've had the privilege to practice medicine and and take care of people that that I grew up with and uh, friends and and over the years uh, acquaintances people that I go to church with and and see in town I see at Walmart and I have the privilege to uh, to take care of them but uh, I served on the school board there in Hornwall for 12 years now, now that's a question that I was going to ask you because I usually tell folks that that uh, I'm in Tennessee history because I was a 
county commissioner, a state representative, and elected a state senator all in one year. But you hold Tennessee history as being a school board member, a county commissioner, and a state representative all at the same time. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. I I did that two years because I actually ran for the county commission before I really determined I was going to run for state representative. So I had to get my name on the ballot for the state representative by doing a write-in vote. And I already had my name on the ballot as county commissioner. So I got elected to the county commission in August and got my name on the ballot for state representative at the same time and then got elected to be state representative in November of of uh, 2002. So I went ahead and served out those terms. I was chairman of the school board at that time, so I had uh, I had two more years on the school board. And it just so happened... In Lewis County, my school board district ran at, at odd years from the county commission district. That was the only wow. way I was okay. able to do that. So I got elected to the county commission and state representative and finished my term on the school board for two more years and served my four years on the county commission and then didn't run again. But I continued to serve. But Lewis County is a small county. The school board meets one time a month, and the county commission meets one time a month. So it's not like Dr. Briggs serving on the Knox County Commission, which which he, uh, meets a little more frequently. Meets more frequently than just one time a month. So I was able to serve out those terms, but it's a privilege to be in the legislature, and I've still been able to practice, and and I'll, I live close enough, about 75 miles from Nashville, so I go home at night and... I'm still you know, able to see see patients sometimes. And I commend you for that because that's, um, you know, I'm about 90 miles away, and, right. and it's just, uh, uh, it, it's a little tough to try to go home. It is. Uh, you know, when, and both of you understand this. When, when you chair a committee, you have a lot more obligations. Obviously, you're trying to uh, meet with uh, the members that have bills as well as the committee members meeting with lobbyists, constituents in regards to those bills. So many times, uh, as a senator, we don't make it to the receptions, or I don't, simply because, you know, we're still working to try to get committee work completed. And so you serve on the finance committee. You're also the chair of the... Revenue subcommittee, Revenue. which is the subcommittee of finance that hears all of the tax bills. So I, I chair it, and I serve on the health committee and the education committee as well and well thank both of you for thank you for for being here and we appreciate the fact that you've uh, are going to spend just a little bit of time and the purpose of today's podcast is obviously the coronavirus and as we all know the coronavirus was detected in wuhan china and the first infections were uh, linked back to a live animal market that was selling uh, meat in uh, Wuhan, China. And obviously the virus has continued to spread all across uh, China and around the world. And it's basically spread by person-to-person contact. And so, you know, today, one of the things that we want to uh, discuss with you as both of you as physicians is, you know, what should we do? Uh, what should Tennesseans be doing in in regards to uh, the coronavirus? Doc- Dr. Briggs, you want to jump in on that one? Yeah, I guess I'll jump in on this. 
And I don't know a whole lot more probably than what a lot of the other folks do if they're reading about it in the, uh, the paper or hearing about it on the news. There seems to be some good news and some bad news with it, and I'll go through the bad news first, in that it, it appears to be very contagious. It uh, seems like those that have become the most ill are the elderly or those that have some pre-existing medical conditions, uh, such as maybe COPD or heart trouble or diabetes. Uh, it does seem to have symptoms that are similar to the flu, and uh, some of the people with it obviously get very, very ill. And it appears that the uh, mortality from this is higher than the flu. However, and this may be some of the good news, is that we probably aren't diagnosing all the people that have been infected with the virus because some people have very mild symptoms. And then some, it starts off as a very uh, severe flu-like illness and then just goes down, uh, goes downhill. I think part of the other, I guess you would call it the good news with it, is spread as, um, as Paul said, by person-to-person contact. And then uh, there's things that we can do. I mean, one thing I think we ought to probably think about stopping doing is shaking hands with everybody or getting too close. Yeah, but we can't do that as politicians. Every, every, <laughs> we have to w- shake hands. We, yeah, everybody are. wants to shake our hand. <laughs> exactly. That may not be a good idea. Uh, the uh, Part of it is, is that the virus is what they call an enveloped virus. And uh, which means it has a uh, it has an outer coat on it that also makes it more sensitive uh, to things like alcohol and Lysol and some of the sanitizers is that it is sensitive to being killed by some of those. Okay, okay. so that that that's exactly what I wanted you to say when you say it's killed when it's sensitive. It means that it It can be killed killed by alcohol or that, you know, the hand sanitizers that you rub on your hands. uh, That's good to know. That's good to know. Uh, and uh, it also appears that uh, if it's left on a, on a surface someplace, it doesn't have a real long life. It is uh, fairly sensitive to that, but it can be sanitized either by using uh, some of the cleaners that are either uh, bleach-based, like uh, some sort of dilute form of Clorox, and there's some of those that you can buy that are safe to put on your skin and, and to put on uh, surfaces. You can use these alcohol-based uh, products and then things like Lysol, and they they have some that are weaker than just the kind of Lysol maybe that you'd be uh, be cleaning the bathroom with. But it is sensitive to all of those. But I I think that even though uh, and by the way I don't know if you saw today Senator Bailey we had a fourth case diagnosed in Tennessee. No, I did. And, and where was it located? In I believe it just said Middle Tennessee was the only information that the uh, the health department released. And I believe that was the fourth case that we have. There's one in Memphis and three now in Middle Tennessee. But I think it's important to start the precautions now. I, I think so. And so uh, Governor Lee has been very proactive, just in my opinion, same as President Trump and the CDC and, and going ahead and and starting to educate the public. And that's one of the things that we want to do with this podcast is we want to educate the public. And I think one of the... Um, from the CDC, one of their messages is don't panic, just be smart and just be on top of what you're doing. Wash your hands regularly, use hand sanitizer, keep hand sanitizer with you. Uh, obviously, if you think that you have flu-like symptoms, stay at home and then contact your physician and, and establish an appointment that you can go in to where they can see you at that time 
especially if you think you have been in contact with someone that has been traveling abroad or maybe have been in an affected area. Dr. Hensley, would you like to chime in, please? Yes, and it certainly, uh, as Dr. Briggs said, it does have a long incubation period, 10 to 14 days, so people can spread the virus even if they're not sick. So, and, and many people, 80% of people have a mild case similar to the flu. And, and most of the cases where they have had a fatality has been, as Dr. Briggs said, has been older people, people that have uh, compromised immune systems. They have COPD, they have diabetes, they have heart disease. They're in a, a nursing home. And many of the deaths were people that were in the nursing home where they obviously had other medical problems because most people getting this uh, are not going to die from it. Most of them don't even have to be treated. They just stay at home and and just uh, treat it like a flu with uh, uh, symptomatic treatment, and they're, they're going to get over it. So, which, which brings me to a question. Uh, is the coronavirus, uh, I believe it's um, uh, coronavirus 19, COVID-19. COVID-19. It, so is it responding to antibiotics? No, uh, it, it's a virus, and viruses don't respond to, to antibiotics, and that's why most of the flu cases, even just regular flu, that there is some antiviral medicine for the flu. But now, even, now Dr. Hensley, help me, because, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor. So when you say antiviral, antiviral. So, so what, what is an antiviral uh, medication. Antiviral Just, medication is like, like Tamiflu. That's the one most people may have heard of that treats the flu. And that's like a antibiotic. Antibiotics are for, uh, for treating bacteria. Antiviral medicines are for treating viruses. But even, even the flu medicine really just shortens the course of the flu. It really doesn't kill the virus per se. Uh, but it does help shorten the course and kill some of the virus. But people still generally have flu symptoms for a few days. But the sooner they get started treated with antiviral, it generally shortens the course, and so they get better quicker. But there's really not an antiviral medicine that I know of for this uh, for this virus, and people do get over it without any special treatment. It's just if they develop complications, they get respiratory symptoms, they get pneumonia or they get something else with the virus. That's generally where the people die from the virus. So Dr. Briggs, uh, can you tell me if there's a lot of differences between normal flu and the, and the coronavirus? It sounds like the initial symptoms in the, in the more severe cases, because anyone that's had the flu knows you get pretty sick with it. You have a fever, you have the aches and pains, uh, you may have a cough, and you just generally feel pretty awful. And I think in the more severe cases of the coronavirus infections, uh, those are the sort of symptoms that you would have very flu-like. And uh, just as Dr. Hensley mentioned, uh, there's a lot of people who will get the coronavirus and the symptoms are extremely mild, mild yes. or maybe they don't have any symptoms at all, but right. yet they can still be carriers. And that's what uh, part of the difficulty right. is, is identifying those people that could spread it so we can isolate them and, uh, and not spread it to oh, someone okay. else. Okay, so that, that brings in a question that I have because 
What I have heard is that the incubation period is about 14 days for the coronavirus. What is the incubation period for the normal flu? Can, can either of you speak to that? I'm sure that I know there's different strains of the flu. Right. So, so is there like a, a standard, like it's a three day, four day, uh, seven day. And, and, and is this is what makes the coronavirus so, uh, unique in the fact that it's uh, a 14 day incubation period. It does make it unique because the flu is typically somebody has to have symptoms or within a day or two, certainly not 14 days. So usually if people don't have symptoms, then they're not not contagious with the flu. So is it true that if you, you know, I've always been told, look, if you have a fever and you've got flu-like symptoms, don't be around other people, stay out of work, right. stay out of That's school. Correct. But in this case with the coronavirus, if you, you may actually have the virus be the carrier, as Dr. Briggs said, not know it and you could be in contact with other people and and, and you could it. and you yes. could be spreading that germ now i'm assuming that after the 14 day incubation period that you could ultimately come down with those symptoms but you could have affected many uh family members uh, uh co-workers um uh, people in school uh public places is that is am i reading that correctly I think so, but there's some people who may be infected with it that really don't have very many symptoms. Okay, so you're saying that you could be a carrier of the coronavirus, but you not never have, you never come symptoms. down with the symptoms right. of the coronavirus. Or Correct. the symptoms could be very, very mild where, where you really don't give them much thought. Okay, well, now that's something new that I haven't heard. I assume that, you know, that there was an incubation period of 14 days, then you, you would come down and you would actually experience the symptoms, but... So the two of you are basically agreeing that you could actually be the carrier. You could have mild symptoms like uh, just uh, a cold-like symptoms, right. nothing like the flu symptoms, and actually have the virus then. Is, is that right? That's correct. That's oh, wow. correct. And wow. so uh, that's why this is different than the flu and the long incubation period. And certainly everybody that is exposed wouldn't have 14 days, but I think that's just the the longest it could be, and, and a lot of people probably even shorter than that. Oh, wow. Dr. Briggs, did you have something to add? Well, I'll tell you what I was going to add to this, because I think a question that many of the listeners may have is, what is the Tennessee gov government doing about this? Right. yes. And uh, something very important is that Governor Lee, and I was very glad to see him do this, appointed a task force, a coronavirus task force, and he's appointed members to that task force. And I have to say they were... Uh, a very qualified group of people to look at this. There's uh, public health officials from some of the counties. We have infectious disease specialists from Vanderbilt. We have epidemiologists from Vanderbilt and the CDC who are put on this. So it is a task force for those of us in Tennessee that uh, when I looked at that, it gave me a lot of comfort to know that we have some of the best uh, best and most experienced people in the state that's monitoring this and will give us uh, advice that we may need uh, as we're going through the whole progress of this epidemic. And hopefully well, we can get rapid uh, tests for this because the flu test, most people know there's a rapid flu test where you can tell within 10 minutes or so whether someone has the flu. And I think these tests now have to be sent to the CDC or sent somewhere to, to tell whether somebody's positive, it certainly takes several hours. 
So if we could get a test that was more rapid, that would help. And, and another question that I have is, would if you had the flu shot this year, would would it would it have helped with the coronavirus? No, no, I, I, because it's just for a certain flu virus, and it doesn't even always help against all the flu viruses. But it certainly wouldn't help against this virus. You know, Tennessee and and especially the federal government has been criticized in regards to what. Uh, the response has been to to the coronavirus, but in my opinion, I really feel like that both the federal government and Dr. Briggs, as you mentioned, uh, Tennessee, we've jumped out and we're being proactive about the uh, coronavirus and trying to educate uh, the citizens, uh, especially the federal government. But at the same time, you know, there's been some to criticize. But when you when you look around the world, and as of today, uh, there's over 110,000 reported cases worldwide, but the United States only has 550 of those cases. So in my opinion, I think that we have really tried to be ahead of this and tried to uh, be proactive in letting the citizens know what they need to do in regards to the coronavirus. Uh, do, do you? Gentlemen- I agree with that totally, and I think the federal government and the state government is trying to, to educate people because that is, is the main thing, educating people. And people in this country are smart enough to know what to do if they – if they're told what to do. And I think people are starting to understand, stay out of crowds, make sure they wash their hands, make sure that they they don't ex- expose other people if they don't have to. If they have symptoms, stay home. So I think over the next few weeks, we're going to see this die down if people do that. The other thing I think is valuable because we uh, it's not progressed as far in the United States as it has in some of the other countries. And it gives us to uh, look at what best practices have been in uh, places like China, right. uh, Korea, Italy, where they've had major outbreaks. And uh, we, we can learn what works and doesn't work. Some of the measures have been very draconian in both uh, Wuhan, China, and in northern Italy. They just literally put an entire quarantine over the northern right. part did, of the country. I saw that just as we came in, yeah. that, that Italy is basically totally quarantined their entire uh, country now. Yeah, they've stopped. I think they've stopped movement uh, uh, from one part of the country to the other to try to contain it. Uh, another fact that is is the longer we can put off us having a major problem here, they are also the by they, I mean the federal government is also working on developing a vaccine for this, and that's not going to come quick. It may very well take a year. Uh, you know, for this to happen because you have to come up with a vaccine and the vaccine has to be tested both for its efficacy, in other words, how well it works, uh, how much protection it gives an individual, and also um, whether there's any any side effects from it. Is there any problems with it? And that can take a year to a year and a half, and that that is really uh, uh, working rapidly to try to do that. But if we can hold off a major epidemic in the United States, uh, maybe with summer coming, we we don't have people. Well, that was one of my next questions that I was basically going to ask uh, Dr. Hensley, and and that is, do you think with the fact that we're entering spring and then summer that um, the virus will be 
um, for a better word, slowed down or will it uh, be stopped in, in regards to spring and summer? Or do you think because of the warm weather that it could uh, could increase? I mean, so what do you think about that, well, Dr. Hensley? Typically, flu gets better in the warm months. People are not cooped up inside together okay, all okay. the time. School is out during the summer, so kids are not exposed to a whole classroom every day like they are during school. So I think after summer comes, when summer comes, spring and summer, it will get better just because of the weather conditions, people being outside, not exposed to people as much, not being cooped up in buildings. Wow. You know, um, again, just getting back to some statistics and, and today being March 9th, for those that are listening to the podcast, obviously when it, it actually airs, it, there could be some changes to these numbers. But again, we go back and we talk about worldwide. Now, this is worldwide numbers. 3,900 people have have died in uh, around the world, but yet uh, you know, the United States has seen 22 deaths, and obviously one death is one too many. But again, when you look at, you know, how our population is free to move about the world and and be able to, to go anywhere that they want, and then obviously there's so many countries uh, and populations that come and move throughout the United States, when you, when you think about 3,900 worldwide deaths, but you see that uh, the United States, is, uh, as of March 9th, only has 22 deaths, uh, you know, that's that's still a relative very small number. And um, obviously, uh, Dr. Briggs, you mentioned earlier that there were uh, four cases now confirmed in Tennessee, and those cases are in, uh, there's one case in Williamson County, uh, there's one case in Shelby County, but there's two cases now reported in Davidson County as of uh, March the 9th. So, well, gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure having you uh, on the Backroads and Backstories with me today and your knowledge, your vast knowledge of, of um, your number of years of experience of being uh, physicians and being a doctor, a family doctor, and caring for individuals. We appreciate you, and we appreciate your your knowledge. Uh, do either of you have anything before we close out today's show? It's just been a pleasure being here and, and with you, and uh, certainly appreciate your friendship and your leadership in the General Assembly. You are very well respected, Chairman of the Commerce Committee, and we just appreciate you having us on here, and we'd just like to encourage people out there to just stay wary of the situation, and, and we will get over this. Thank you. Dr. I'd Briggs. like to thank you also for your friendship, and, uh, and I'll tell you, Senator Bailey is a pretty modest guy. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't mention uh, that in addition to being a chairman now of the Commerce Committee, he's a former chairman of the Transportation Committee, and the governor has placed him on uh, one of the health care task force looking to some of the long-term health care solutions that we need in the state. Right. So, uh, you know, we're very proud of, uh, of what you've done and the good job you've done in I think part of the reason that uh, you've been put on some of these committees is because of your effectiveness as a leader, and <laughs> and uh, and I think Tennessee, all of us in Tennessee, should appreciate that. Well, well, thank you both. Uh, I'm assuming you have bills up in commerce over the next couple of weeks. And we so, do, Mr. Chairman. So uh, <laughs> that, that's right, Your Honor, Your Highness, or whatever. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we certainly appreciate. Uh, Dr. Briggs and Dr. Hensley being with us today, and we appreciate you listening to Backroads and Backstories. This is Paul Bailey, and until next time, stay blessed. 
Thank you for listening to the Backroads and Backstories podcast with Senator Paul Bailey. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at backroadsandbackstories.com. And subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Backroads and Backstories podcast.